0: Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. On today's program, the meaning and setbacks behind California Governor Newsom's apology to California indigenous peoples over two years ago and the establishment of the Truth in Healing Council. We'll have an in-depth conversation on one California indigenous nation's perspective on the progress, setbacks, and the meanings, that and how the COVID-19 pandemic is impacting one California indigenous nation, that and the doctrine of discovery, plus more. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone (laughs)
1: I <laughs> can't
0: On June 18th of 2019, California Governor Newsom issued a formal apology to Native Americans for the state's historical wrongdoings and established a truth and healing council. The council is supposed to be comprised and led and convened by the governor's tribal advisor, and include representatives and delegates from California indigenous nations as well as non-governmental stakeholders. The council is supposed to report its draft findings to the governor's tribal advisor on an annual basis beginning January 1st of 2020 and produce a final written report of findings regarding the historical relationship between the state and Native Americans on or before January 1st of 2025. Not all California Native American nations accepted California Governor Newsom's apology and the creation of the Truth and Healing Council. For the hour, we speak with Valentin Lopez from the Amamonsen Nation, who is chairman of the Ama Nation in Northern California. His nation rejected California Governor Newsom's formal apology as well as questioned the establishment of the Truth in Healing Council. In fact, they issued a letter that was sent to California Governor Newsom shortly after the apology and has yet to hear anything. For the hour, we speak on the meaning and the value of between Governor Newsom's apology to California Indian nations, as well as the meaning of truth in healing and what that looks like and what it should look like for everyone, as well as how the COVID-19 pandemic is impacting the Amamunsen Nation in Northern California. And now, Valentin Lopez, chairman of the Amamonsen Nation, providing us an update On the apology and the establishment of the Truth and Healing Council and the response or lack of response from the state of California. Well, when
2: Governor Newsom
0: announced,
2: you know, issued the apology and announced that they were going to have a, that they would establish a Truth and Healing Council. Well, first of all, when he issued the apology, you know, I mean, our tribe has a policy of not accepting, um, we do not accept apologies. When people apologize, all we hear is, you know, you know, we apologize. Now, will you shut up? You know, they just want to find a way to go forward without dealing with any of the past that has happened, and that doesn't work for our tribe. And so, but because he asked for a truth and healing council, that was curious to us, and so we wanted to find out more about that truth and healing council. And that's why we sent the letter, and it's been a couple years since I sent the letter, so I'm not going to remember it exactly, but I know that we talked about some of the important things regarding healing that our tribe has learned. In October, our tribe started its 13th year of bi-monthly tribal wellness meetings, and in that period of time, our tribe has learned a lot about healing, and at our tribal wellness meetings, we have a tribal psychiatrist, a tribal, and two tribal psychologists in attendance. And we deal with very difficult issues. But what we learned about healing is it's very important for the truth to be told um, on both sides. And oftentimes for indigenous people, that means they talk about the impact of that horrible, horrific, history and the effect it's had on our tribes. Mm -hmm. We talk about the loss of our culture, the loss of our spirituality, the impact of forced um, assimilation and conversion. We talk about losing our environments and our places of power. And over time, you know, losing the knowledge of our ceremonies, our... Uh, purpose for being here, um, the indigenous knowledge that was passed down for thousands of generations, regarding how to take care of our lands and our and our and our and Mother Earth, and uh, that loss has been tremendous. But for the perpetrators, we want them to tell the truth about the history, to talk about, um, you know, the period of of you know, I mean, like whenever you look at the school curriculums, I mean. How many school curriculums talk about one of the very first treasury bonds in California being passed to pay for the extermination of California Indians? How many textbooks in the high school, um, uh, grammar schools, and even colleges talk about um, the um, California paying money, paying bounty money for Indians to kill Indians? And the militias to go out and hunt down Indians and to kill them. Those textbooks just do not talk about that. And even in college, they do not talk about that. And so, you know, we say for healing, it's important that they tell the history, the, the true history of the Indians. And then, you know, and then we ended our letter with a lesson that we learned in our tribal council meeting that to have healthy relationships takes two healthy individuals or partners or entities. And if the state of California wanted to have a healthy relationship with tribes, they must, um, they, they must themselves be healthy. Right. But how can we consider the state of California healthy if they can't, um, if they can't tell the truth, mm-hmm. if they can't acknowledge their actions, if they can't take steps to atone or correct those actions or to make up for those actions you know they just want to issue the apology and say you know we apologize shut up now let's go forward to be nice and let's be friendly or they want to talk about reconciliation there's no such thing as reconciliation for native americans reconciliation means taking a relationship back to a time to a period when times were good right like in a marriage you know i mean at first the couple's in love and, and you know, everything, the world's just perfect and, and wonderful. But over time, things kind of start to come apart. And you say, let's reconcile. That means Let's try and find a way to go back when the times were good. Well, when were the times ever good in our relationship with the state of California? So when people talk about reconciliation, you know, we just say that there's no such thing. No such thing for California tribes. And so the state of California has to find a way to get itself healthy right. if they want a healthy relationship with the tribes. And that's what the Truth and Wellness um, Council must be working for. And as I understand it, they're trying to work to help these tribes get healthy, but they're doing nothing, nothing to help the perpetrators and those institutions get healthy. And they're doing nothing to learn and tell the truth about their histories. And so... Unless that changes, i don't see how the truth and Wellness Council um, could ever um, have any 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 level or claim to success
0: val when i 'm listening to you i'm I'm thinking of um, you know going back to the the national uh, defense or the Department of Defense Appropriations Act of two thousand and ten that included. An apology to Native Americans, and and the wording was so watered down that um, y- you know it negated any idea of historical acts of genocide being committed against you know Native Americans, and then also in the same breath um, with the apology resolution that was part of the rider to the National Defense. Uh, uh, or the Department of Defense Appropriation Act, that there was a disclaimer, uh, basically say, stating that the resolution um, that nothing in the resolution authorizes or supports any legal claims against the United States, and that the resolution doesn't settle any claims against the United States. So when I'm I'm hearing you uh, talk about you know truth and and honesty. I, uh, you know, that also has to apply to the apology itself. And so if the apology has all these shortcomings to it, then how can you even create and have a truth and, and healing commission?
2: Well, that, 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 that is so true. That is absolutely correct. I mean, you know, I mean, they want to give an apology and pretend like it means something, but it's just phony. It is just absolutely phony and, and, and it's insulting right. to issue such a you know, an apology that, that, that is, is so uh, that, you know that, that is so wishy washy that it means nothing mm-hmm. and, and that's insulting. Mm-hmm. There's nothing real about that whatsoever. And that's what we get all the time. You know, whenever Pope Francis was in Bolivia, I believe, in twenty fifteen, he issued an apology to the indigenous peoples of the americas and his his apology he apologized for the sins the crimes and the offenses of the catholic church and after issuing that apology well we you know immediately after that apology our tribe wrote a letter to pope francis saying we do not accept his apology many of our members grew up catholic and we learned that to be forgiven for your sins, and that's what Pope Francis was asking, to be forgiven for their sins, their crimes, and their offenses. Mm-hmm. To be given for your sins, according to the Catholic Church teachings, you know, you must confess your sins. And when you confess your sins, you very clearly say what you did,
0: right.
2: why you did it, and how many times you did it. Mm. And then you must do penance. And then after penance, you must atone for your sins. And what our members have learned and what I learned is that that is the only way to be forgiven for your sins, to truly be forgiven for your sins. Mm-hmm. Well, why is Pope Francis hoping that an apology is going to do it? Why is he hoping an apology is going to, be, is going to make things right and make things square? Again, that was just a phony apology, a phony uh, uh, presentation. You know, and it meant nothing. And as evidence that it meant nothing, two months later or thereabouts, he canonizes Junipero Serra. Right. Junipero Serra was the architect of the California mission system that set up, um, you know, the, the conditions for those sins, those crimes and the offenses to be committed. You know, I mean, how much sincerity was there in his apology? I, I, you know, I, I, I cannot, you know, uh, you know, well, you know, it, it's just, it's just, just total lies and hypocrisy, and that's, right. and that's what it's been throughout history.
0: And in, in listening, to, um, listening to you, I was thinking of uh, like the Canadian government's um, kind of managed, uh, shall we say. Uh, state reparations or managed uh, managing decolonization when it comes to the Truth and Healing Commission for the boarding school system and and of course we're talking at the the parliamentary parliamentary level. Um, unlike here, we're talking at the state level. But how the the federal government or the parli- Canadian parliamentary government comes in and manages the process for the truth and healing or truth and reconciliation process regarding the boarding school era. And, and so they structure what is permitted into the process, but they also determine what's excluded. And, and then they become the controlling dominant factor throughout the entire process. Meanwhile, you know, some First Nations peoples are kind of co-opted into the process. And uh, would it be fair to make a similar analogy with the Truth and Healing Commission? And then what does it mean that this is happening at the state level as opposed to the federal level? And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Valentin Lopez, chairperson of the Amamanta Nation in Northern California, on an update on California Governor Newsom's apology and the creation of a truth and healing council and what that apology actually means from the Amamunsen Nation perspective. And now back to the interview.
2: Well, that'd be absolutely true about the Canadian efforts there, you know. I mean, it, it, it is just about perpetuating that uh, a, a domination of Native people. You know, our tribe. We say that the periods of destruction and domination never ended. It just evolved. Right. It evolved now, to you know, to the laws and regulations that we have on the, on the books that are still there. You know, but that domination. When you look at what's happening in Canada, you know, I mean, that's just a perpetuation of that domination. They're dominating the system, and the messaging and what you know, what is, what does the you know truth and wellness look like? What does healing look like? And how should we move forward? I mean, they're controlling the entire process. And, and, you know, and, and, and how, how, how real can that be? How legitimate can that be? And, you know, and, and all they're trying to do is, is make themselves feel good without doing a damn thing. And that just doesn't work. And then the state of California here in that military, you know, they're doing the exact same thing. They're trying to control and dominate and make it look like there's something meaningful there when there isn't.
0: And and what does it say that the state is engaging this process as opposed to the federal government?
2: Well, a lot of the laws that were passed here, uh-huh. the laws for that destruction of domination, were at the state level. Right. So I don't get too uh, 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 upset at saying well the blame is misplaced. For example. Right. right. You know. Right. I mean, it, 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 it was those state laws that were there that allowed the, the legalized kidnapping of children, over 10,000 um, Indian children were kidnapped and sold, and that was state-sponsored. You know, they legalized indentured servitude, and indentured servitude is slavery, and the California laws on indentured servitude weren't appealed until 1937, and so we had legalized slavery in california up to 1937 you know and 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 and, you know and and you know we say that those laws and rules never i mean that domination and destruction period never changed it just it it just evolved
0: Yeah, i'm listening to you i i know um you know we've touched on several of these issues and previous interviews, and and it sounds like, and I know in previous interviews when talking about truth and and healing and reconciliation that, you know, it it has to happen not only with indigenous peoples, but also with uh, the perpetuators or purveyors of settler colonial violence, um, including the state. And uh, it just sounds like the state, is is again engaged in a process of dishonesty and and domination and controlling the narrative. And and I know um, things have been tough over the past couple years for just people in general and certainly indigenous peoples and during the COVID nineteen pandemic, and and we're wrapping up uh, a Gregorian uh, year, if you will. And I was wondering if maybe uh, in talking about truth and healing and wellness, if you could share with our listeners um, you know, how folks. In the community, how folks in the nation are doing during this COVID nineteen pandemic, and and uh, and how folks are are surviving and, and living, if you will, and and how that connects to this time of the year as so many of us uh, get ready for win- winter solstice ceremonies.
2: Before I answer that question, let me say one more thing about that truth and healing. Okay. You know, whenever I talk about this, I always. I always add at the end, you know, that the people we're talking to today, you know, I tell them, you know, the, the, non, non, the non-native, right? You no, know, I tell them,
0: you know, it, it
2: is not your fault. You are not the ones that were collecting bounty money, and you're not the ones that paid bounty money. So what, hap- our, what happened to us is not your fault. But we ask them to recognize how much they have benefited from that horrible, brutal history. How much they have benefited. You know, we tell them, every day you put your feet on the ground. You're putting your feet on ground that was stolen. And um, and so what we ask today is that, you know, is that they help tribes and that they recognize that, that, you know, that they, have an obligation or a responsibility or at least they we hope that they feel like they have a a responsibility or at least an opportunity to help tribes today restore their cultures restore their spiritualities return to their places of power return to their sacred sites etc and that's what we ask of people today regarding truth and wellness that's a very important part of it so thank you for allowing me to add that
0: sure no thank you for your good Uh, um, words
2: I I I'll, I'll say now about covid um, our tribe has been very impacted by covid uh, a number of our you know the majority uh, I don't think that's true anymore but a lot of our members are at or near poverty and we are a very poor tribe we are not federally recognized and so um and um we we've had a lot of covid instances in our um, within our tribe, mm-hmm. we established a COVID GoFundMe account when COVID first hit, and we got our, you know, and we started realizing that our members were impacted by it. But um, as soon as money comes into that account, it goes out, and oftentimes we don't have any money in that fund whatsoever. And um, very recently, we had two members passed. Mm. And we have two members in the, in the um, intensive care um, units now. Wow. And um, the probability is that they are not going to make it. And that is just in the very recent times. Okay. And, um, you know, we have a, a member who's, who's homeless, and, and he got COVID. Wow. You know, and he got treated, you know, and then when he, when he, when he got released, because of, of his history, it was hard finding placement for him, wow. and he wasn't comfortable with any placement, and he wanted to go back on the streets, you know, and, you know, so, so those are the kinds of issues that we face, and it's not just indigenous folks that face that, but, but I believe that we just have higher instances of situations like that, and, um, We do hold ceremony, we do hold prayer, Um, we do um, offer as much um, assistance as as we can as a tribe, but another thing that makes it very hard is that because so many of our people had to move out of our traditional territories, which include Santa Cruz area, the Morgan Hill, Gilroy area, that it's very expensive to live there and our people had to leave, and so now our people are kind of scattered. Wow. You know, a lot of them are in Hanford, Madera, Fresno, Modesto, and other locations. And, um, you know, so providing care for our members and stuff like that, long distance is very hard. So um, COVID has, has had a huge impact on our tribes, mm. uh, one of these. A person who's in the ICU now um, is 83.
0: Wow.
2: And she's a a very important culture bearer, and her loss will be huge to our tribe. And uh, we had a council meeting yesterday, and when her condition was announced, um, a lot of tears were shed and a lot of prayers Mm. were offered. But, you know, it is difficult for a tribe to to face this. in the numbers and, and, and regularity that we do
0: my uh thoughts and prayers uh to you the community and the in the nation and uh anytime uh, we lose a member it's uh uh it's a hard transition that uh, that we all face and and especially with cultural bearers and i know um they would say that every time you know we uh, we see a or experience an elder moving on, it's like losing a library, but I guess uh, maybe for the 21st century uh, and those that are wired or connected to the internet, uh, I guess it would be like losing Google, if you will. And uh, I know uh, this time of the year is that transitional time where a lot of indigenous nations, uh, if you will, uh, that practice uh, winter solstice or some cultural interpretation of winter solstice and that as we enter that period of renewal, of mourning and renewal, and and you were talking earlier about the younger people that this generation is the inheritors of all things uh, that came before them. They are the inheritors of the good and the bad that came before them. And so, I was wondering if you could just speak on this uh, this time of renewal as we prepare for winter solstice ceremony. And what is your message to the youth, the future leaders of tomorrow? and the cultural responsible holders, if you will, or stakeholders for future generations?
2: Well, I'll take that most um, recent um, question first. Uh, the, 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 The youth that we have now and stuff, one of the messages that we're getting to the youth nowadays, not nowadays, but in recent times, is if you look at our history fewer than 2% survived that horrible history and we ask our youth to think about why do you think your lineage was one of the surviving lineages and why do you think you're here today and you know what we want them to realize is that they survived for a reason they survived for a very important reason they survived because creator and the ancestors chose them as the ones that would carry on and so they have a very important responsibility to all their ancestors and to creator to return to the path that our ancestors were on so that we can complete their journey and um honor them, honor the ancestors, and fulfill our obligation to Creator. Mm. We must complete their journey, and we were, you know, and each one of us survived. We're chosen to be the survivors, and we have a huge responsibility to that mm. that we must recognize. Uh, that's a big message to our, to our youth, and, and we, in our tribe, we have a, we have a, um, a youth summer camp, where we have youth come in, we have youth from four years to 18 years come in. And one year, you know, the last year before COVID, right. we had 63 or thereabouts of our youth come into camp. And there we talk about our history, our culture. We talk about our traditional stewardship knowledge and practices. You know, we, we you know, they stay in tents along the coast or, you know, just near, uh, or very near the coast. And in the mornings, they work for four hours doing the traditional indigenous stewardship of the lands, and they work side by side with our native stewardship corps. Mm-hmm. And they learn about our medicine plants and our food plants, and they learn about how to care for the plants and how to pray for the plants. And and then how to and then after those four hours, you know, we 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 do additional stuff. You know, like processing food plants. How do you process the seeds? Mm. Um, and to see cakes and, um, you know, and, and how do you process, you know, the the simple things like acorn, well I say simple, it's not as simple, <laughs> but the, 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 the stuff that most people know about is the processing of acorn, yeah. but also the processing of hazelnut, the processing of pine nuts, mm. the processing of buckeye, mm. you know, and then also, proce- you know, I mean, how do you cook um, indie potatoes? Mm. Um, there's eight different varieties of Indian potatoes that a lot of people don't realize. Yeah. But how do, you, how do you collect, gather, and, and cook those Indian potatoes? And those are the things that we teach our youth. Nice. Um, and then we also have a lot of play in there. You know, we'll go for a uh, hike in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Or we'll go along the coast and just do learning about the inner tidal zones and learn about, about tides and uh, learning about um, the, the different sea life that's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to rivers and talk about the importance of rivers and the riparian, um, et cetera. So, we, you know, we, we provide a lot of teaching to our youth.
0: You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with... Valentin Lopez, chairman of the Amamunsa Nation in Northern California. We've been speaking on California Governor Newsom's apology two years ago and getting an update, the perils and progress, if you will, of the Truth in Healing Council, how COVID-19 is impacting the Amamunsa Nation, and as well as this transitional time for the Winter Solstice Ceremony and what that looks like and what that means when we talk about truth, healing, and reconciliation. And now back to the interview here on American Indian Airwaves. And then in the summertime, we also have a student internship
2: program where um, our students um, end at 16 years and older. And we've had some out there at 35 years old also, but they come out and they work. As student interns, and they make good money. They do get paid for their work, but they work very hard, side by side with our stewards. Nice. And they live in tents, and then every night we have talking circles and such. So it's hard. It's hard to teach the youth, and you know um, what's important for, you know, for you know how they live their life, and how important, how it's why it's important for them to follow their, you know, to understand their ancestors and understand the generations before them. But we have programs that, uh, you know, that are working and we're hoping that we um, are making a difference in their life. And a number of them, they say when they, the parents are raising them to be stewards and come back and work with in our stewardship program. Nice. And others, they want the kids to go to college to come back and work for the for our our, our land trust and, learn, learn, you know, become um, researchers and managers of our ocean and coastal programs or mm-hmm or, you know, landscape restoration specialists and stuff like that. So uh, we work hard um, to uh, develop future leaders.
0: And your thoughts on, you know, this time of year, uh, winter solstice, uh, preparing, right, for this transition for a time of renewal. Any final thoughts or comments you'd like to share?
2: Well, regarding winter solstice, um, it's, you know, it, you know it, it's the time of year. Right, where we we are ending one period of time and we're entering another, and the first part, and and the first part of that is um, a very cold and hardship for a lot of tribal people at that time, and so we, you know, we want to keep them in our, we want to keep them in our prayers. Um, We have learned that winter is a time for dying, and um, and so within our tribe we have certain worries about that you know and we say prayers and we get to know our aunts our our elders and spend time with them and take care of them and protect them the best that we can and so that's a very important part of this time of year is doing our best to to spend time with the elders and to and and to and to comfort them and take care of them because winter is a time for dying um and then as it progresses that's when new life forms And so it's time to prepare, to offer a lot of prayers for the new life that will follow soon. And to pray not only for people, but to pray for the rivers and to pray for the four-legged and the winged and the finned. To pray for the trees and the grasses and um, to pray for the wind and the fog. And um, there's so much more. And that's the winter. So the winter allows you. You know, a, a time to where you, where you, where, you will have more time for prayer, mm. and more time for, for for visiting, and more time for correcting. You know how you lived in the past and how you spent that past year, mm. and how you're going to look to the future year and the changes you're going to make, and to get ready for the renewal ceremony, that will come in in in, in several months, so that you can have um, purposeful. And intentional prayers at the time of renewal, and well thought-out um, plans on how to live your life um, in the coming year.
0: And that was Valentine Lopez, chairperson of the Amamuncun Nation, here on American Indian Airwaves. We were speaking on a variety of important issues, including an update on California Governor Newsom's apology to Native Americans for the state's historical quote-unquote wrongdoings. The apology was issued just over two years ago. It also created the establishment of the Truth and Healing Council. So we were speaking on what does truth and healing actually mean and why the Amamonson Nation rejected California Governor Newsom's apology to Native Americans. We were also speaking on how the COVID-19 pandemic continues to impact the community members and citizens of the Ama Nation, as well as what this time of year means and looks like for indigenous peoples and in their respective First Nations that are cultural practitioners of the winter solstice and what, and what bringing in the new year looks like. If you want more information on the Amamundsen Nation, you can visit their website at or visit the website. You can visit the amamundsen.org website at org. We want to remind listeners you're listening to American Indian Airwaves, and if you appreciate the work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves, as well as KPFK and the marginalized and diversified voices that we bring to our listeners here on the show and that KPFK brings to audience members throughout the Southern California region and throughout the internet, throughout the World Wide web. We ask that you support KPFK in one of a variety of ways. You can become a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by visiting the kpfk.org website, clicking on the pledge widget, and choosing to become a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by making monthly dollar denominations of your choice. Or you can pick up a book that we're offering here on American Indian Airwaves. It's called Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery by Stephen Newcomb. It's a $100 thank you item. It is a phenomenal read. It will change the way you understand global history, the origins of theological and legal history, instruments used to dispossess indigenous peoples of their lands throughout the Western Hemisphere, throughout the continent of Africa, and help you understand how the United States legal system relies on these 15th century theological and legal documents or instruments, if you will, to sustain permanent forms of settler colonial violence by dispossessing indigenous peoples of their lands the book is a phenomenal read it's called pagans in the promised land decoding the doctrine of christian discovery by stephen newcomb it's a 100 hundred dollar thank you item you can visit the kpfk.org website click on the pledge widget to pick up this book or you can call 818-985-5735 Eight one eight nine eight five kpfk Marcus?
1: Well, Larry, to get away from a lot of the, a lot of people look at law and look at the, which the book, Pagans of the Promised Land and the subtitles, but the, the doctrine of Christian discovery is really important. Why is it important? Well, you can listen to Steve and you can, you can read the book and it goes back into the level of the Old Testament, and it goes back to the uh, to the policy that are premise of the Old Testaments and narratives of a chosen people and their promised land, as exemplified by the 1823 Supreme Court ruling, Johnson versus McIntosh, that the first Christian people to discover lands inhabited by natives who are heathens have an ultimate title. To the dominion over these lands and peoples. Well, that's a mouthful. But I think for Native people, it's about how they, the dominion, the domain, the control, mm-hmm. the rule of a other force upon them to move them in the. Um, what a challenge is also Larry with his book is Sierra Nulius the notion of the theological notion that the legal doctrine of discovery lands were devoid of human original people who lived there as you find as heathens, pagans, and infidels were not ruled by the Christian prince. Now, that might sound like, oh, we're just talking words, right, Larry? We're just talking, ah, just that, you know, it's just a matter of... You know, uh, it's a matter of well, uh, that's what the book says, and that's what Newcomb discovered, and that's what he's he's pontificating. But yet, it's much more than that. It's about when I was in New York, Larry, and we uh, went to the United Nations talking about the the Declaration of Rights of Indigenous Peoples, and we covered the story here at American Indian Airways, and we're still covering the story. But yet, the notion of peoples in the international legal sense. I went to a forum where Steve Newcomb talked about that, along with Oren Lyons, Chris Peters, Theo Oros, and the like. And they had a real good forum on what this all means. And the notion of this, Larry, and I think the important thing for our listeners is that we cover a lot of news and a lot of activities and Native people, Indigenous people on the front lines, right? We try to do that. We do it the best our our ability, and we air individuals that talk about sovereignty, talk about self-determination, that talk about rights of uh, Earth Mother, that talk about our language, our customs, our tradition. The back of that, though, the backstory of all that, is, I was wondering, like in Standing Rock, we cover the story, everybody you know, knows about Standing Rock, on the back of that the legal and the, and the violence, the the justifications for violence, the the, the uh, theological uh, entitlements of the doctrine of discovery. All this is a background where the legal arm created the force in order to uh, dominate, in order to control, in order to force people to do what the people that are in power wish them to do or not do, right? right. And so this notion of worth giving we're offering this book, really interesting book. It's not an easy read. I'm not. I'm not pretending it to be, but it's a must read as you decipher the ontology of Christian domination of Christianity, Christian dumb. It's just Christianity, Christian dumb. The church empowered European governments to coercion and violence. You know, and, and within that, Larry, we're talking about a, a, a gift, $100. You can phone this number, 818 985 That's 818-985-5735. Support KPFK and to support in our listeners that like our program and listen to our program, many, many, you know, people out there, whether it be online or whether it be live or whether it be, you know, the streaming that we do, that our, our um, ability to listen to the program, even online, kpfk.org, is, is a gift that we offer people. And we offer people this tool, Larry. Right. It's just a tool. It's just to, it's to understand why the federal government, the federal system, really the book, when I, I thought it was alarming, um, Larry, about, the notion the connection between the Christian the Christianity and the state, and people think that the that the the church and state should never meet but after reading the book, Larry, after reading it, when you sit down and actually go through the pages, it's going to take some time, but you could really focus on the pages and the language. I think Steve Newcomb whenever he talks Larry. He talks about words. He talks about right. the meaning of those words. He talks about dominion. He talks about the um, the role of control. He talks about the uh, legal jurisprudence and what that means, and the role of this papal bull. Uh, you know this this notion of what the uh, papal bull, the the document of um, the document that the church. Uh, the Royal Charters uh, that the U.S. Supreme Court ruling since, since, since earlier in the ruling of jurisprudence of the United States when it developed, the patterns of these oppression that continue to dispossess indigenous people, even today. Larry, I think it's important. What do you think for our listeners, another point of view about this really important book?
0: I think you hit uh, a lot of the major highlights and in, in why it's so important to understand what Steve is written about in Pagans in the Promised Land, decoding the doctrine of Christian discovery, because he really traces back right the beginnings of the relationship between the Vatican and in which at that time in in world history was considered international law. It was the it was the, the pinnacle of international law. They issued several key papal bulls that Steve lays out that legally and theologically justified the dispossession of indigenous peoples lands. And they are legal documents, legal the, theological documents instruments, as you said, tools that have been codified in American law, like U.S. Uh, versus McIntosh, like the Tiaton case in 1954, and like a lot of other federal Indian law cases. In fact, every federal Indian law case that is uh, adjudicated by the U.S. Supreme Court they start with citing US v McIntosh and so it's instrumental to understand not just that court case but how you know chief justice Marshall's court in that decision codified the theological papal bulls in the doctrine of discovery into that single court case that is foundation for federal indian law and that means it's foundation for the legal justification of Dispossessing indigenous peoples of their lands. And Steve lays this out in much greater detail than what you and I can highlight uh, here on American Indian Airwaves. Again, the book is Pagans in the Promised Lands Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery by Stephen Newcomb. It's a $100 premium item, a $100 thank you gift for supporting us here on American Indian Airwaves, for supporting us here at KPFK. You can call 818. 818 985 985 KPFK, or you can visit the kpfk.org website and make your pledge there and pick up Pagans in the Promised Land Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery. And Marcus, we want to give listeners a taste of. Stephen Newcomb's own words. We've spoken with Steve quite extensively over the years in talking about the role of the doctrine of discovery or the doctrine of dominion. And with that, we want to give listeners a snippet of an interview that we did with Stephen Newcomb talking about the Doctrine of Discovery and how it connects and relates to the removal of the Father Junipero Sierra statues in the state of California, as well as the Watershed U.S. Supreme Court decision that was adjudicated last year, the McGirt decision, and how that court case is based on the Doctrine of Discovery. And now, Stephen Newcomb.
3: Well, I think that the context of the conversation about the removal of statues needs to be set right at the get-go, meaning the contrast between the original free and independent existence of all of our nations and peoples throughout this continent, throughout the hemisphere, and the system of domination that was brought here by the monarchies of Christendom back during the time of Columbus and afterwards. And so the contrast between that original free existence and the claim of a right of domination Mm -hmm. based on vatican documents of the 15th century and various assertions of of sovereignty and, and so forth by the monarchies of christendom that is the contrast we ought to be focused on once we understand that we can understand that those statues are symbols of that system of domination that was brought here as a form of invasion The initial invasion of our lands and of our nations and peoples and all of the the destruction and uh, horrible devastation that occurred as a result of all that. And that—that that is what we ought to be focused on, in my view. And so I've somewhat changed, or maybe just become more specific about my emphasis regarding the doc—what has been called the doctrine of discovery—that I prefer to make sure that I'm referring to it as the doctrine of domination. It's the claim of a right of domination, and so that's such an important uh, point.
0: And when you talk about um, the doctrine of domination. Um, There's actually been, um, as you mentioned briefly, some recent judicial activity. And I'm speaking specifically about the McGirt case that received a lot of media attention, both um, in settler colonial mass media's landscape, but also indigenous media, and of course, uh, the incomplete narrative, to put it diplomatically, about the McGirt decision. But the doctrine of discovery is referenced also in the McGirt decision. I was wondering if you could make the connection of that for our listeners.
3: Well, the McGirt decision is McGirt versus Oklahoma had to do with criminal prosecution, uh, criminal jurisdiction uh, in Oklahoma or what's now called Oklahoma, and whether the, the the issue before the court was whether the the reservation of the Creek Nation continues to exist today, or was it done away with at the point of uh, what's called statehood, the admission of, of Oklahoma into the union, I guess as they call it. And what um, the majority said in that decision is that the Creek Reservation continues to exist because Congress did not specifically disestablish the reservation through some kind of direct action legislatively. And the um, minority decision under the Chief Justice Roberts and and several others that uh, joined him would have actually put a very specific, I guess, capstone, you might say, on the genocidal process of attempting to destroy those nations over there by saying that they they were basically disestablished and that the reservations were done away with. So at least in the case of the Creek Reservation, as, as Justice Gorsuch is referring to it, He says that it continues to exist to this day. And so that is being considered to be the decision that a very large sector, a very large portion of the state of Oklahoma is really still the Creek Reservation. And so for purposes, as some news reports have said, for the purpose of criminal prosecution, It is still the Creek Reservation. Now, interestingly, when you go into the treaty, or several treaties with the Creek Nation, between the Creek Nation and the United States, what it refers to is a country, that the country for the Creek Nation will be established in the West. And so it's interesting that although Gorsuch quotes that language from the treaty, he then kind of massages or works with the language in such a way to use an analogy to say, well, it's really a reservation. It's not a It's not a country. I mean, he doesn't get say that it's not a country. He just transitions to the word reservation and makes that the focus of his decision and whether that's part of Indian country. And when you look at the definition of Indian country, it says that it's a place under the jurisdiction of the United States. And there's always been the presumption within the federal Indian law system, uh, going back to Johnson versus McIntosh from 1823. But you wouldn't really notice that unless the enterprising researcher, such as my friend uh, Peter DeRico were unless that researcher goes to the actual reference point in the McGirt decision, which is a textbook that uh, Justice Gorsuch refers to. And if unless you look that up, you would not see that the uh, decision is actually going to and citing to the Johnson versus McIntosh ruling, which is of course where the the um, uh, doctrine of discovery is embedded, and um, that that had to do with the discussion of Indian country, and he talked about the um, ownership of non-Indian settlers being able to own land on a reservation. And Gorsuch wrote, uh, it isn't hard to see why that would be the case. And then he explained that federal homesteader patents uh, transferred legal title, quote unquote, to Creek land. And then he says, but no one thinks this diminished the United States' claim to sovereignty. To accomplish that would require an active session the transfer of a sovereign claim from one nation to another, unquote. And then uh, Justice Gorsuch cited to 3 E. Washburn, American Law of Real Property, asterisk 521 dash asterisk 524. So what that is uh, referring to, based upon the wonderful research of my friend uh, Peter Tirico, a legal studies professor now retired from the university of massachusetts at amherst and a a Yale law school graduate and all that good stuff but anyway he he found the reference was to emory washburn's 1868 a treatise on the american law of real property and it was a discussion of title by public grant and and then it's, it is referring to the discovery and settlement of this country by europeans And then it states, nor has any title beyond the right of occupation been recognized in the native tribes by any European governments or their successors, the colonies, the states, or the United States.
2: The moment of silence is over.
0: And that was Stephen T. Newcomb, author of the book Pagans in the Promised Land. Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery... It is our $100 thank you item here on American Indian Airwaves. We want to remind listeners to support us here on American Indian Airwaves and KPFK. Visit the KPFK.org website, click on the pledge widget, choose a premium item of your choice, choose to become a KPFK monthly Sustainer Circle member, pick up the book, Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery by Stephen Newcomb. It's a $100 thank you item. Here on American Indian Airwaves, you can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. We want to remind listeners you've been listening to american indian airwaves that concludes our show for today a special thank you to valentine lopez chairperson of the Amamunsen nation and stephen t newcomb author of pagans in the promised land decoding the doctrine of christian discovery a special thank you to our musical guest aragon star Koopa aina and the band blackfire American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burnt Swamp Studio in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. There's a truth
2: that must be heard against our
3: fears try not to become what we've endured wearing our souls on the thread
2: the moment of silence is over